Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Amen, amen. It is good to see everybody. Welcome 11 a.m. service. How are we feeling today? Feeling good, feeling good. Thank you, David. It's good to see everybody. I'm just so grateful for what God's doing in our church, uh, really. I, this week, I've just been feeling so grateful for the people who call Cornerstone home. We've got such incredible people here. Uh, I'm just grateful for the way that God's moving in our church and moving through our church, and I believe he's gonna get uh, to that today. He's gonna be moving as we study his word today. So we are in part six of Mindset Masterclass, part six of this series. I hope that it's been helpful for you. I've, I've been getting a lot out of it just as I've been preparing it. God's really been preaching to me throughout this series. So I hope that it's been doing the same for you. We're learning how we can renew our mind how we can renew our mind, transform the way we think. This is how important it is. This is what scripture says. Our, our purpose verses that we've been reading this series, Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul writes, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't just fall in the line with the way that the world thinks about things, Paul's saying. But let God transform you into a new person by how? By changing the way you think. That's huge. That's vital. You do not become a new person through your actions or through but just you know doing the right thing. You it all starts, all of it. It starts with having your mind transformed, having the Holy Spirit renew the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now today, we, we've been looking at a whole lot of uh, different topics that we've renewed our mind on, right? We've been looking at how scripture talks about a, a bunch of different topics. Now today, uh, uh, the topic we're gonna be talking about is one that I needed to trim my notes on. <laughs> my, my sermon today, I'm not kidding, easily could have been like an hour and a half. Don't worry, I trimmed it down. <laughs> I can already see some people like, I'm out. Like, what? grab the keys, let's get out of here. I trimmed it down significantly. The reason it could have been such a long sermon today isn't just because scripture has so much content on what we're talking about, which it does. Like, there is a lot of content. Um, it's not just that. It's, this is a topic I'm very passionate about. So it, it would be very easy for me to just go on and on and on today, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that today. We're gonna uh, keep it uh, right at time. But today, what we're gonna be doing, I want us to read from God's word before I give you our uh, uh, topic for the day. We're gonna be looking at two specific pieces of scripture, Matthew chapter seven. So if you have a Bible and wanna follow along, Matthew chapter seven, verses one through five, and then also the book of Luke. We're gonna be looking at Luke chapter six, verses 43 in 44, but we're mostly gonna be working out of the uh, book of Matthew today. This is what it says in Matthew chapter seven, verses one through five. This is Jesus speaking. We are picking up uh, near the end of her Sermon on the Mount, the most famous, most powerful sermon that's ever been preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. Listen to this next part. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And all God's people said, yikes, right? <laughs> Ooh, ouch. 
Verse three, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And then Jesus, again speaking in Luke chapter six, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says this, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. You see what we're talking about today, our title is, I'll be the judge of that. I'll be the judge of that. Why don't you turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, I'll be the judge of that. I'll be the judge of that. I'll be the judge of that. Now, I would bet that's not the first time you've said that statement. Certainly not the first time you've thought it, right? This is, this is man, I'm just gonna say from the onset, what we're talking about today, this is a touchy topic. Judgment is a touchy, touchy topic because it's so divisive. Because I bet right here in this room watching online, we have a whole lot of different opinions on judgment. I guarantee it. We have some people who, who fall really on one side and they're like, you know, they got the tattoo. Only God can judge me, right? Like they, they got the tattoo and they're like, you can't judge me. No one can judge me. You can't judge. We're not supposed to judge. The Bible says we shouldn't judge. You can't be the judge of that because you're not supposed to be the judge of that, right? You got people on that side. You got people on the other side. Oh, yes, we can judge. And in fact, it's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> like, I love to judge. I'm judging you right now. I can't wait to judge you again. Like, I, I love judging. We've, we've got people who are on both sides, and both sides is the crazy thing. We'll, we'll pull out verses to emphasize why they're right. Oh, no, see, look, this is why I should judge. This is why you shouldn't judge. This is why I never judge. This is why I always judge, right? It's a very divisive, very tricky issue that we're talking about today. But here's, here's the thing. Um, I'll say this as gently as I can. I don't care about your opinion on judgment, though. I don't care. <laughs> and you shouldn't care about my opinion on judging, we're not here today. What I prayed about earlier is true. We're not here today to discuss our opinions on, oh, let's get some advice. This is, this is a TED talk on judgmentalism. Like, that's not what this is. We're studying God's word to see what he says about it. Because, frankly, the, the cliches that our culture has about judging and only God can judge me and I'm gonna judge you because I need to judge you, we shouldn't care what those cliches are. We only wanna care what God says about it because that's the only thing that truly matters. So what does God say about it? What does God say about judgmentalism? Well, buckle up, because here we go, right? This is, this is where I would kind of like to, to start today as we dive into God's word, is uh, uh, an admission to begin with. An admission of addiction. We are addicted to judgmentalism. We are. It makes us feel really good. In fact, since day one, since the Garden of Eden, we have been addicted to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From day one, you know that's the, the, the fruit that Adam and Eve ate, right? Genesis chapter three, it was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Day one, it looked good, it looked pleasing. Ooh, to have that wisdom for myself, to be able to make the judgment call on my own, to know right and wrong apart from God, to be able to just make the call on my own. We've been addicted to it since the beginning. 
We love that fruit. Um, Pastor Brenda would be able to echo this, I'm sure. Pastor Donnie would be able to echo this, I'm sure. Any pastor would be able to echo this. The question I get the most, and it's not even close as a pastor, the question I get more than any other one is this. Is blank, filling in, is blank a sin? (laughs) I want knowledge of good and evil. Tell me, is is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this right? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this wrong? I wanna know, Just, just spell it out for me because once I know, I can take that information and I can condemn who I wanna condemn. I can justify what I wanna do. I can do whatever. Just give me the knowledge of good and evil. We're addicted to it. We want the knowledge for ourselves. The bad thing is, we don't wield it in the proper way, do we? We're, we're so inconsistent. Um, my, my son, Griffin, uh, last night, it was me and him at home. Jessica and the girls were out. So it's me and Griffin and my cousin Jennifer stopped over and we're all at the table and we're playing with Play-Doh and Griffin's got some of his little toys out. Um, we've got Gravity Falls on TV. Gravity Falls is on in the background. And so me, Jen, and Griffin are just sitting there. Griffin's kind of talking and playing with himself. He's got his little toys. He's playing, you know, and he has these two Spider-Man toys, uh, and he says with one of them to the other one, he goes, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you, and like kind of hits, please don't judge me, please don't judge me. He's like, I'm gonna kill you, and they're like making each other fight, right? So he's saying this, and I kid you not, within five seconds of him saying, I'm gonna kill you, within five seconds, Dipper from Gravity Falls on TV says something about like, Mabel, we can't do that, that's stupid. Griffin heard Dipper say stupid, and he gasped audibly gasped, he went, <gasps> and looked at me and Jen and said, why did he say that? That's a bad word, why did he say that? I'm like, bro, you're just talking about like murder over here, you're talking about like killing, I'm gonna kill you, like what are you talking about? Within five seconds, you're like, how could he? You're clutching your pearls, what's, what's going on, right? Because in Griffin's mind, he, he's got the fruit, he knows what's right and what's wrong. And he's gonna wield it. And oh, how could you? Oh, I can't believe he said that. Let me get back to my killing spree over here, right? Like he, he's, he's taking the knowledge that he thinks he has and he's wielding it in an improper way. And that's what we do all the time. <laughs> we, we, we seek the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then we wield it. And most often, more often than not, sadly, we wield it like a weapon, We use it to bludgeon people over the head, to condemn people we don't like or that we don't agree with. We have an incorrect use of the knowledge God has given us, which is why I think Jesus says what he says in Matthew 7, verse one and two. Let me read this one more time. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. We need to just... Get this out of the way at the start, okay? If you feel like, you know, judging should never happen, you're not supposed to judge, that's not what scripture says. Jesus here, you can read it for yourself. He is not saying that you cannot judge other people. He's saying, no, you can. You can judge others. Be careful, though. (laughs) Just be careful. Do not judge others, then you won't be judged. But if you do, just be careful what kind of standard you use because the standard you use for other people is the standard that will be used for you. Jesus didn't prohibit judgment, but he did caution judgment. He didn't say it's always wrong to judge, but he said, you better be careful. (laughs) Careful what you wish for, careful what you do. My daughter, Eden, she loves uh, Maki House. Has anyone gone to Maki House, Arlington Ridge Marketplace? Good food, it's like, 
mall chicken, right? It's like the teriyaki chicken that they make there with the rice and the veggies. It's really good. She loves it. She's like obsessed with this place. It's where she wants to go all the time. And so uh, one night we got Maki House. We brought it home uh, and she's eating it. And it, it's a sad day in the young house because we're getting to the point where like one, one order used to be good for all three kids. Like just one order with the chicken and there's like leftovers, right? Not anymore. Like we've just hit that point and it's, it's a sad day. I don't like it. So we have to get multiple. I have to get multiple for all of them. Um, but like as we've gotten to this point, Eden especially, she devours this stuff. And so she had had a plate of it and she just destroyed it. <laughs> the chicken's all gone. There's only a few little pieces of rice left. Uh, and she says, hey, can I have some more? I'm like, there's actually no more in your thing. She looks at my plate, right? Like her plate's empty. So she's like, there is no more, really, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. And this is, this is like next level thinking. This is, this is genius level thinking. This is masterclass. Here's a parent masterclass. I smother my chicken in sriracha hot sauce. I don't have to share with nobody. <laughs> nobody wants dad's chicken, right? Like nobody wants it. Um, so I, I have hot sauce like all over my chicken. Eden's looking at it. She's so hungry. She's kind of looking at it. She goes, can I have some of yours? And I told her, I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can have some of mine. Be careful. <laughs> like, approach with caution. I don't, I don't know. You've never had this before. This might rock your world, right? <laughs> and so she, she comes over and kind of smells it a little bit. And sure enough, she opted for cereal. She's like, ah, I'll pass. I'm, I'm going to pass on that. Smart move probably on her point, right? Um, she was completely, and I wasn't just saying that, she completely could have had some. She absolutely could have had some of the chicken off my plate. Just be careful, because <laughs> it's hot. Be careful, because it might not be what you were wanting it to be. When it comes to judging, Jesus is not telling us, nope, you can never make a judgment at all. No, if, if you see somebody and they're steering off course, you can never come up to them and try to like counsel them. Jesus isn't saying we can't do that. He's just saying, hey, just approach with caution. Be very careful before you jump in to judge or issue critique. He didn't prohibit judgment, but he did caution judgment. Um, and one of the main reasons I think he did that is because look at, it, look at it again in verse two, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. If someone is judging me, I want them to know every aspect of the story right? I think that's one of the main reasons Jesus is cautioning us as we judge here, because Jesus is saying, you can't judge accurately if you don't know exhaustively. Like, if you don't have an exhaustive knowledge of a situation, how in the world are you going to accurately judge it? How in the world are you going to give a truly helpful assessment if you don't have an exhaustive knowledge of truly what's going on here? You can't judge accurately, if you don't know exhaustively. Has anyone ever had jury duty before and you actually went to trial and had to sit on a trial? I've been there. It's, it's fun at first. You're like, ooh, this is neat. Day two, you're like, get this over with. <laughs> Please get this over with. Because day one, it's all new. You've never done it before. It's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Get to see the inner workings of the justice system, see how this works. Man, it's so monotonous. Like, it's just the same stuff over and over and over again. I did one a few years back. There was a shooting downtown. No one got hit or anything like that, but there was a shooting. Um, and so this guy got arrested for it and, you know, we're in there and it's crazy. There's, you know, there's every bit, every bit of information that possibly could have been pulled from that night and that event. We had to sit through it. 
everything. <laughs> like we had, we had security cameras from all over the place and we had eyewitnesses and this angle and that angle and people talking about the car that he was driving and the gun that he used and where the bullets went. And I mean, it was like, we get it, we get it. And they gave us, they gave us notepads and told us like, make sure you take really good notes throughout this. And then after it's done, we went in for jury deliberation. And whenever we're sitting in the room, we're, we're, we've got all the evidence again that we've got to sift through and talk about and go over and over. And it was crazy. It just felt like, man, we've, we've, we've been through all this. But what was going on there is that both the prosecution and the defense wanted to make sure that we, the jury, had every bit of information we needed to make an accurate judgment, right? They didn't want us to just kind of know the case. They didn't want us to just kind of, oh yeah, we were kind of paying attention. They wanted us to have an exhaustive knowledge of every facet of the case. Because if we do, we can make an accurate judgment. We can only make an accurate judgment if you have exhaustive knowledge of the situation, right? That's the only way. The only way you can truly look at a situation, look at a person, look at what they're going through, look at all of it, and give a judgment that's truly helpful is if you really know what's going on. And here's the kicker. Again, why Jesus issues such caution over how we judge people and how we judge situations. We need to have an exhaustive knowledge to be able to give an accurate assessment, but here's the thing. Even on your best day, even on your best day, you barely see well enough to judge others. Barely. <laughs> I, I, I love so much how uh, the New Living Translation translates this, this verse. Let me read it to you uh, one more time. Matthew 7, verse 5. Jesus says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see, what's it say? Well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Some other versions of scripture say, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly. <laughs> then, you'll, then you'll be able to see clearly, giving this idea that like, oh, look at my eyesight now, it's perfect. I can, I can see all and assess all perfectly, but I love how the New Living Translation says it here because it's like, ah, get rid of the log and you'll see well enough to be able to help. You'll be able to see well enough because even on your best day, even on my best day, we barely see well enough to judge. Let, let's look at, because again, scripture, whenever it was written, uh, uh, the gospel of Matthew, whenever it was written, it, it wasn't written in chapters. <laughs> like this is just all one book. We're the ones who, who divided it up, right? Jesus right here, and whatever we read in Matthew chapter seven, he's in the middle of his sermon on the mount. This is a sermon that he's been giving. It started back in Matthew chapter five. It runs through chapter six and it concludes at the end of chapter seven. And so Jesus has been speaking and pretty much if we were to give uh, an overwhelming or an overarching message of what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, it would kind of come down to this. Jesus is telling his audience, you aren't seeing things correctly. You aren't seeing things correctly. Tell your neighbor, get your eyes checked. Get your eyes checked, because guess what? Guess what? Jesus isn't just talking to this crowd back in ancient Palestine area. He's talking to you today and to me today. You don't see things correctly. We don't see things accurately. Let, let me walk you through this. So uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter five with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, you may have heard these before. This is the, uh, uh, where Jesus, say, uh, Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor. You know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the persecuted. Why is Jesus running down this list? Why is he telling us all this? Because we would never think those people are blessed. 
blessed are the persecuted? Really? <laughs> Doesn't feel like I'm blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. No, no, no. In Jesus' day, blessed are the mighty. Blessed are the strong. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the proud. Like not, not the meek and the humble and the persecuted. What are you talking about? Jesus is outlining what the kingdom of God looks and he's telling his audience, you don't see things correctly. What you think things are supposed to look like, they don't look like. So I gotta, I gotta clarify things for you. I gotta show you what the real situation on the ground looks like. You're not seeing things correctly. Jesus moves from the Beatitudes and he moves into a section where he's talking about the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, God's law. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, I, I know you're not seeing things right because you're gonna see what I'm doing and you're gonna think I'm here because I think the law is bad and the law needs to be thrown away and the law is trash. It's not what I'm doing. That's <laughs> not what I'm doing. You're not seeing things right. I'm not coming to abolish the law. I'm coming to fulfill it. I'm coming to bring it to its completion, but you're not gonna see it correctly because you don't see things correctly. Jesus moves on from that to all these statements where he says, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. You have heard it said that if you sleep with someone who's not your spouse, you've committed adultery. But I am telling you, even if you look at somebody with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Jesus is saying, look at I know what you think you see, but you're not seeing it right. Jesus is just saying it over and over and over again, all throughout his sermon. You're, you're not seeing things correctly. You're not seeing things correctly. Be careful how you judge because you're not seeing things correctly. Uh, I've, I've only got one tattoo. I've got one tattoo on, on my uh, uh, arm right here. Probably will get another one sometime. Um, and whenever I do, whenever I go to get another tattoo, I can tell you this much. If I walk into a tattoo parlor and the person is like, hey, uh, Jacob Young, yeah, I'm gonna be doing your tattoo today. If they come walking over and they got glasses on with frames that are about this thick, right? And they're like, what are we working with here? And they're all squinting, looking in. If they're doing that, <laughs> if they're squinting, I'm running. Like, I'm, I'm out of there. Like, you're not, no. <laughs> I'm not going to let you permanently imprint something on my body when you can't even see straight. Church, <laughs> this is something we do. We are going around permanently imprinting people's spirits and their souls and their hearts with our words, with our condemnation, and with our judgment. We are permanently scarring them. Meanwhile, we're doing this. That's how accurately we're seeing. <laughs> And we're saying things that are damaging people for the rest of their lives. You know, one of the C groups that we have here uh, starting up at Cornerstone is one that focuses on church hurt, on people who have been hurt by the church, who have, who have gone to a church and felt just completely condemned and, and just tossed aside because this stuff happens all the time. We're going around and we're tattooing people with impaired vision. <laughs> we're, we're condemning people and we can't see clearly. And Jesus is saying, man, yes, Judge, but man, be careful. Man, be careful. Man, make sure that you're, you're, you're doing things right because even on your best day, you barely see well enough to judge. Now, whenever we do that, our judgments, they are not helping anybody. They're only hurting. And here's the thing. They're not just hurting the people around us. They're hurting us too. Because what I don't want people to walk away from here today is thinking that I'm just talking about external judgments like whenever you go and confront somebody or you go judge somebody and it's like a, a personal confrontation, honestly, that's maybe like 5% of all judgment that happens. 
And I don't want you to think that's what I'm talking about. I, that's part of it. But the main judgment that happens are the unspoken words, are the, well, I'll never say it to the person, but I'll sure as heck post it on a Facebook post. <laughs> I'll, I'll get the little dig in that way and a little indirect but direct kind of thing, and I hope they get the message that I'm kind of, this is about you, right? Like, this is the super passive-aggressive, right? Like, I'm, I'm talking about those kind of judgments, the kind of judgments where you would never say to the person, but you and your circle of friends talk about it all the time. Those kind of judgments. Those may not hurt that person because they don't know about it. They hurt your soul. They hurt your walk with Christ. They're insidious, they're poisonous, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous. We have got to be so careful with judgmentalism. It will rob our soul of what God truly wants to do in our heart. And so whenever I think about that, and we think what God wants to do in our heart, he, what he wants to do is he wants our heart to be saturated with his love, with his way, with his grace, with his truth. That's what he wants. And that's where we need to be, especially when it comes to judging, especially when it comes to, to trying to help people and help them get on the right path. Man, it, until, let me put it this way, until you are saturated in the way of Jesus, you will never judge like Jesus. You just won't. Uh, another way to put it, it's hard to take constructive criticism from someone who's never built anything. Right? Like, it, it, until you are so saturated and so overwhelmed by the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus in your own life, how can you actually help somebody else? How can you actually help somebody else? Until you are saturated in the way of Jesus, you will not judge like Jesus. One more time, Matthew 7, 2. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I can't speak for you, but for me, uh, I know what standard I want to be judged by. <laughs> when people are watching back, I, like my old sermons, from this year and last year and the year before that, people watching back my old sermons, man, I, I hope people judge them carefully, right? Because I'm still young and I still say some things and I'm like, man, sometimes the tone, because I, I think about it, I preach, uh, I preach about 45 Sundays a year and it used to do it three times when we had our Saturday service, uh, but now two times uh, every weekend. And so that equals out to about 90 times a year, plus there's about another 10 or so, just every now and then I'll preach here and there. Uh, so that's like 100 times a year. It's about 100 times a year or so that I speak. And man, if you go through all those things, you're gonna find some stuff. I'll, I'll, let me put it this way. They're not all fantastic. <laughs> like they're just, you guys are super sweet and you make me feel really good after I get off the stage. Like, oh, Pastor Jacob, that was so great. And I'm like, oh, thank you. It wasn't, but thank you. Like, I appreciate it, right? Because they're not, they're not all like, wow, that, they just keep getting better every week. They don't, like sometimes they miss or sometimes the tone is off. And so when people are going back and watching old sermons or, or seeing something like, ooh, I don't like the way that sounded. Oh, that sounds kind of off. What I hope and what I pray, the standard that people judge me with as they look at that, I so hope that the standard is grace and truth. I don't just want grace. I do, I, I want grace. Let me, let me make that clear. I want people to give me grace and I want people to give me the benefit of the doubt when I say something and go, oh, I'm not sure about that. But everything else I know about Pastor Jacob would line up with this. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. Of course I would want that. Of course I want grace, but I also want truth. I want my sermons to be good. 
I want them to make an impact. I want to be preaching uh, the, the truth and the full counsel of God. Like I want, I want that to be the case. So I want truth as well. I want grace and I want truth. And if that is the standard I want for myself, Jesus is telling me, if, if you want that, you better be that. If you want that in your life, if you want people to look at you and judge you full of grace and full of truth, you better start judging them that way. What, you think you get to just deal out truth bomb after truth bomb and people are gonna respond with grace and truth for you? Not likely, <laughs> not likely. You, you have got to apply whatever standard you want for yourself. That's the standard you need to have for other people. And the standard that I want is grace and truth. And to get that, I must be that. But here's the thing, I'm not grace and truth. <laughs> Jesus was grace and truth. So on my own, through my own power, through my own will, I'm not gonna be grace and truth to other people because Jacob is not grace and truth. I need the Holy Spirit doing exactly what it says in Romans 12, renewing my mind, changing the way I think, making me more and more into the person that God created me to be, being more and more like Jesus. And as that happens, my judgments start to change. You see, we need to be formed by the Holy Spirit before we can accurately judge people. We need to be saturated in the way of Jesus before we can accurately judge people. Do you know what it takes to become a judge? It, it is quite the process. I, I was reading about it uh, as I started for the sermon. Let me, let me walk you through this. If you wanna become a judge, this is what it takes. First off, get your bachelor's degree. You need to get your bachelor's degree. That's what, four-year degree. So you gotta get your bachelor's degree. After that, you need to take an LSAT. Law school admissions test, one of the hardest admission tests that there is, you have to take it, you have to pass it. Once you do that, you're admitted to law school. You can go to law school, woo, all right, law school. Law school can take two to three years, maybe longer. So you got four-year bachelor's degree, LSAT, then you've got, uh, after that, you've got the uh, law school. After law school, guess what you have to do? Take the bar exam, one of the hardest exams. It's, it's unheard of for people to pass it on the first time. People routinely have to take it multiple times before they can pass the bar exam. After the bar exam, are you a, are you a, a judge now? No, you're not. <laughs> After that, you need to either clerk under a judge or you need to practice law on your own, become a lawyer or a public defender. You need to do it. It depends on the state that you're in, but most states, it's anywhere from two to three years. You need to clerk or practice law. Then after that, you don't get to just become a judge. You have to be appointed a judge or elected a judge. So someone has to think enough of you that they, get, that they appoint you to be a, a judge or you need to run a campaign and be elected as a judge. After that, you're still not a judge. <laughs> Whenever you're elected or appointed and you step into the judgeship, the first thing you have to do is for, again, it varies on state, but it could be uh, anywhere between one to three years that you uh, are in training before you ever preside over a case. That's crazy. I mean, think about that again. Bachelor's degree, four years, the LSAT, three years of law school, the bar exam, two to three years of clerking or being a lawyer, being elected or appointed, and then two to three years of training before you get to hear a case. Before you ever get to cast judgment on anybody, you go through all of that. That, uh, do you see where I'm going with this? What, what, we, what we see to be true when it comes to our legal system is that we don't want judges who are completely unfamiliar or don't know the legal code. They need to know it like the back of their hand. They need to be so versed in it, they can recite it in their sleep. They want our judges to be immersed in the law. If we are going to give accurate judgments, we need to be immersed 
in the grace and truth of Jesus. Just completely and utterly saturated in it. Like just, it, it's so overwhelming to us. We're spending time with him. We have daily private disciplines. We're, we're praying, we're reading scripture, we're fasting, we're worshiping. We're doing all of these things, immersing ourselves in the way of Jesus. Immersing ourselves in what the gospel has done in our life. That's the only way we're ever gonna be able to judge accurately is if we intimately know Jesus, intimately know what he has done for us. If we, if we are constantly thinking about the fact that today's a new day and that means it's a new day to carry my cross. Today is a new day and it's a new day for me to seek out the repentance that I know I need. Not those people, not that guy, my repentance for my sins. Uh, it's, it's remembering what Jesus has forgiven us for. And as we do those things, this is what's so beautiful, as we start immersing ourselves in Jesus and just saturating ourselves in his presence and in the Holy Spirit, as those things start coming, we start to see things more clearly. Then the log starts to pop out of our eye. Then, then we start to see things for what they are, and here's what starts to happen. When, this is how you'll know the Holy Spirit is really working on your heart when it comes to judgmentalism and criticism. The, the, the biggest sign is when you start to realize that my judgments are the best when I see my faults as the worst. You wanna know the Holy Spirit's working on your life? You wanna know when it's a good time for you to be able to start helping people beside you? When your judgment is at its best is when you see yourself and your sins as the chief of sins, your own sin as the worst. Jesus said it right here. Call your sin a log and there's a speck. You've got a boulder in your eye. It's a, it's a pebble out here, but you, you've got an overwhelming sin that you need to deal with. This is the way the Apostle Paul phrased it, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The Apostle Paul says this. It's one of the earliest statements that we could consider like a, 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 a creed, like a statement that Christians should say. The Apostle Paul says, here is a statement that is trustworthy and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's the Apostle Paul. What's my excuse? What's your excuse? We should be saying the same thing. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, ooh, that group. Ooh, good thing he came for them. They need him. Good thing Jesus came for the world because, ooh they, ooh, they need him, don't they? Man, did you watch the Grammys? Good thing that Jesus came because those are the real sick people. Those are the depraved people. Us, we're the good ones. Like, I mean, we're, we're tight with them, right? But, ooh. The rest of the world. No, the Apostle Paul is saying, I am so utterly consumed with my own sin, with my own need for repentance, that I see my sin as the worst. I see myself as the chief of sinners. That's where we're supposed to be. That's where we're supposed to be. Man, at just this point that we're on, I feel like I could talk. I could talk about this all day because this is such a huge part of, of the judgmental spirit that can ride in us. We, we just don't do this naturally. We just don't do this naturally. Naturally, the way that we judge and the way that we see sin is grace for me, but not for thee, right? right? Like that's, that's our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is grace for me uh, and not for thee. And it's a bad, it's just a bad place to be. It's a gross place to be. It's a hypocritical, judgmental place to be. And it's inconsistent. It's wildly inconsistent. Just this past week, just this past week, I saw this play out. I'm like, man, this is, this is perfect timing because we're talking about judgmentalism and how it creates 
inconsistencies and just tribalism and this idea of I'm better off than you are and you're worse than I am. And like, it's just, it's gross. It's gross. And I saw it play out this week. There is two pastors, two nationally known pastors. I'm not going to say who they are, but two nationally known pastors who had controversies break out this week. Well, this week into last week. The first one, about 10 days ago or so, a video started circulating of this pastor at a conference this last year. Uh, I was teaching and making some comments, and he made some comments that people interpreted to be like, I don't even know how to word it. They interpreted the comments to be affirming of the LGBT community, right? They interpreted it to be affirming of the LGBT community, and so people like just, let me tell you, eviscerated this guy online. Killed him, just killed, you know, post saying, um, you know, there's a difference between a brother and heir and a false teacher. This is a false teacher. And, you know, this is a dark day for the church and all these different things, just tearing this guy limb from limb, right? So that happens last week and I'm following it. I'm seeing all this stuff. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> this is nuts. About a week passes and just about three days ago, um, uh, another story broke and it was about a pastor who pastors a really large church. It's big church, and decades ago, uh, a wife in the church came to him, uh, him along with the elders of the church, and said, hey, my, my husband's been abusing me and sexually abusing our kids. Like, we, I, I need out of this. Like, I, I need a divorce. And the pastor and the elders told her that she shouldn't and that that would be a sin to seek a divorce from her husband, uh, that that was wrong, that she needed to seek repentance for, with him and just try to get through this together um, and so she did for a while and then eventually ended up leaving him, calling the police. The police arrested him. The guy's serving time in prison now for what he did over all those years. The story is just now coming out because one of the elders who was at the church for a long time, it grieved his conscience enough. He eventually left the church, tried see, trying to get them to like, hey, we've got to make this right. We've got to make this right. They never did. So he's come out talking about it and now that's a big story. The reason I tell you that though is the very same accounts that a week and a half earlier that I, off, that I follow that were destroying this other pastor for his comments at that conference, dead silent this week. Like, just silent. No condemnation. No, man, what in the world's going on here? No, this is a, this is a false teacher. This is, we've got to make this right. What in the world's going on here? Not a peep. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not building it out. There's specifically seven accounts that I follow that were harping. It was all they were posting about last week and this week. There's nothing, just silence. That is what a judgmental spirit does in our hearts. It creates us versus them. Holy, unrighteous. Godly, wrong. Good, disgusting. It creates these messed up ways of thinking where we view ourselves as the holy ones, we view ourselves as, oh, well, if I have a sin, maybe it's a little speck. <laughs> but they've got a log in their eye, clearly. They've, they've clearly got a log in their eye. That's what happens. That's how insidious and gross judgmentalism is. And it, what it does, we, we see it manifest in so many ways like this. We see, um, we, we create euphemisms, right? Like, we'll say other people are unrepentant with sin, but we'll say, but I'm struggling with sin. Are you though? <laughs> are you actually struggling or are you willingly giving into it? Right? We'll, we'll call other people's things, oh no, you need to call that what it is. That's, that's sin. But whenever someone points out mine, it's, well, I just made a mistake. It's euphemisms, it's, it's language. We know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. 
And what Jesus is telling us, what Paul is telling us is, no, 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 no. Your judgment is at its best. Your advice is at its best. Your godly counsel is at its best when you see your sins as the worst. When you see yourself as the one as most in need of grace. When you see yourself as the chief of sinner. That is when our judgment is at its most clear. That's when we're seeing things the best. That's where we need to be. My judgment is the best when I see my sins as the worst. And you want to know why Jesus is saying this and why Paul is saying this? Because I, I, I can already hear the pushback. Well, Pastor Jacob, me telling a little white lie, that's really worse than somebody killing somebody. Oh, I'm the chief of sinners. Like, that's, that's really worse. This is why it's worse. You have no idea about anybody else's sin, but you sure as heck know about yours. You, you, have, you can't read people's minds. You can't look into people's hearts. Only God can do that. And so all you know is your own sin. And that's why Paul's saying, I will never fully know what Jesus saved you from, but I know what he saved me from. I, I will never fully know the depths of your sin, but I know with acute clarity exactly where I've been and where Jesus has pulled me from. And so I, I, all, all I can see is I've got a log in my eye that, because I know, I know where I've been and I know what Jesus has rescued me from when our judgment is at its best is when we're seeing our sins as the worst. We're almost done, we're almost done. So <laughs> I feel like I said, I feel like I'd go for another hour. Um, so up to this point, we, we've mostly been talking about getting the right mindset before we judge, right? Like we're, we're 40 minutes into the sermon and I still have not talked about how, like what you actually judge. It's because what you actually judge is maybe like 5% of the whole thing. The, the mindset that you enter in with is, is 95%. It's what really matters. That's why we're talking about renewing our minds because how we renew our minds, changing the way we think, that's how we become a new person. So we have to completely shift the way that we think about judging people first before we even get to what we judge. So what do we judge? Knowing all of that, keeping all of the stuff that we just talked about in mind, what do we actually judge? Jesus is pretty clear on this. We judge fruit. We judge action because that's all we can judge. We can judge action, but never intention. Jesus says that. Paul goes on to say that in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, we never truly know the motive. Only the Lord God can see into the heart. We talked about this a few weeks back in this series when Samuel is looking for the next king of Israel and God tells him, you are only seeing things from human perspective. I alone can see the heart. I alone can see the motive. I alone can see someone's true intentions. We can only judge action, but never intention. That's why we need to be humble with our judgments. Because even at their best, we're only seeing an action. We're not seeing the true intention. And we can be wrong. I, I, got, I got permission to tell this story from, from my mom prior to service. So uh, I didn't tell it in first service because I didn't ask her first. So I'm like, are you cool with me telling this story? So here's what can happen whenever we mess up uh, uh, judging action and intention. Christmas morning a few years back, whenever my, before my dad passed away, uh, my mom and dad are at home. They're getting ready for the, all of us, the family, to come over and open presents. Uh, and my dad's asleep in bed. My mom's already been up, like usual. She's probably been up since three o'clock in the morning, running around the house, doing things. Um, <laughs> my dad kind of like comes to. He's a, he kind of comes to awake in, in the bed. And he kind of looks over and sees my mom kind of scurrying the room. She's got, uh, this is just so funny. She's got a lighter. And she starts lighting some candles in the room. <laughs> my dad, seeing my mom walking around lighting some candles, and it's Christmas morning. My dad's thinking, huh, 
Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so he said, he said, he like real sweetly kind of goes like, morning, babe. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Like expecting her to, well, you know, it's more, you know. So that's what he thinks. He's seeing this action and he knows the intention, right? He knows what's going down. It's about to be Merry Christmas to Charlie. So he says, hey, babe, what, what, what are you doing? And without missing a beat, my mom doesn't even look over at him, finishes lighting the candle and says, I'm lighting some candles in here. It stinks. And then just walks out of the room. <laughs> he, he said he just kind of sat there for a second and then was like, all right, and just went back to sleep. Like, well, <laughs> see, all, <laughs> shoot, all, all that we can see, all that we can see is action. That's it. That's all my dad could see was what she was doing. His intent, what he thought was going down, was not what was going down. Like, completely on different pages. Like, completely on different pages. And so, even when we judge action, even when we judge action, we have to be careful. And so this is what I would tell you. This is a very tangible, like, take-home point for you. Whenever you have someone in your life who you, you've done all this work, you're, you're saturating yourself in the way of Jesus, you're doing all this, and you have someone in your life who you love, and it feels like they're going down a, a course that they shouldn't be going down. They're, they're venturing into paths that they shouldn't be taking, and you come up alongside them. What I have found to be true, and what I believe the counsel of Scripture tells us, is that whenever we see an action that we're unsure about, the best way to approach it is with a question, not an accusation. It's very easy to see an action and then just pop in and be like, well, what are you doing? I can't believe you do this. That's awful and that's a sin and you're sinning and you gotta cut this out and you gotta do this. One of the best ways to do it, if you truly wanna make a difference and actually help the person, is to see the action and come in and be like, hey, I just wanna tell you, like, I'm talking to you because I love you. I'm seeing you take some steps that just have me concerned and I'm, Honestly, if we just walk through it together, just explain to me a little bit, like, what, what was your thought here? Like, what was your thought process? What are you working through? Because they may be able to tell you some things that help you a little bit. Not saying that you instantly go, oh, okay, well, and keep on keeping on, but it, it will be able to shed a little bit more light, and you'll actually be helping the person if you approach with questions rather than accusations, because, again, we can only judge action, not intention. We can only judge fruit. We can only judge fruit. Last two things I'll say real quick and then we'll get out of here. One of the nice things about judging fruit though is that you can't fake fruit. Like, guess what tree this apple came from? <laughs> apple tree. Because <laughs> you can't fake it. It comes from an apple tree. This didn't come from a lemon tree or, or an orange tree. It came from an apple tree because you can't fake fruit. And so that's what's nice about it is whenever you see something happening that's good or bad, it's good fruit or it's bad fruit, generally speaking, it helps guide you. Generally speaking, again, you don't know intention, you don't know everything, but you can, you can make decent judgment calls based off fruit. But I'll, I'll add one caveat to that. Not only can you not fake fruit, you can't force fruit. This apple will grow when it grows. I can't condemn it into growing any faster I can't judge it into growing any faster. I can't tell it it's not good enough and get it to grow any faster. It will become an apple when it's ready to become an apple. I don't think Jesus used this illustration of fruit just, you know, coincidentally. I think this is completely on purpose. 
Jesus is saying there are certain fruit, there are certain things that happen in life that just take time. And so you may be rushing to condemn someone who actually is doing way better than you know they are. You may be rushing to tell this person that they are, they're messing up in this way and that way, but actually in my walk with God and what I'm seeing, they're, they're doing way better because you're expecting them to be here whenever they're not here yet. You wanna know how long it takes for most trees to produce fruit? About three to five years. Jesus is using this illustration on purpose. He's using this on purpose. So if that is you, if you're a person who you've, you've stepped in here today feeling like you, you, you just don't cut it, because you're not here yet, you don't look like this yet, but you are trying to walk in the way of Jesus, do not let anyone discourage you. Keep encouraged and keep taking the steps and keep walking because a good tree will produce good fruit. It will, just keep doing what you're doing. The last thing I'll say, and then we'll pray, talking about the fruit and kind of with what we were saying at the beginning of today's sermon, how we've been addicted to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man, just... <laughs> Never, ever, 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 ever trade knowledge of God for the knowledge of good and evil. It's not a good trade. It's not a good trade. We have gotta be so obsessed with knowing God first and foremost, knowing him first and foremost, getting in good relationship with him first and foremost, that everything else falls into a distant second place because we're so consumed with knowing him and having knowledge of him. See, that's what was wrong with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they, they had knowledge of God, but they rejected it for knowledge of good and evil. Let us not be the same. Let us choose knowledge of God and saying, you know what? I don't need to be judge, jury, and executioner. You know what? I don't need to be the one proclaiming judgments over all these people. I am going to reject that instead, just accept knowledge of God and let that be the thing that I tether myself to. And as I do that, I'll start to see things more clearly. And the people that God's given me influence over, I'll be able to see them more clearly and accurately. And then with my judgments, I'll be able to help instead of hurt. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.